Good morning. My name is Jonathan and I'm from Suvi Church and it's good to visit with you again. The scripture reading is taken from Philippians chapter 1 verses 19 to 30. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to, me, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The word of the Lord. Five hundred, five hundred and twenty-two days. Five hundred and twenty-two days from today. Not making a prophecy. Five hundred and twenty-two days from today is the day that I and my wife and Braden, if he so chooses, and Madison, if she so chooses, and then Reagan and Georgia and Rose by fact that they'll be under 16, but 522 days from today is the day that I can apply for Australian citizenship in 522 days. Now, the rules currently as they stand, because there are those in the government who would like to change them, are as follows that from the day that you enter into Australia on a valid visa, which we did on July 17, 2015, four years later, you can apply to become an Australian citizen. If in that last year, those last 365 days before your application is submitted, you have been a permanent resident. And if you have only been out of the country a total of 365 days from that first day that you entered into Australia from a valid visa. So I have an Excel tracking sheet that counts 
the number of days each one of us has been out of Australia. I will let you know that my wife has been out of Australia more days than any of us. You can ask her where those days have been spent and why she's so tan. When we went to the States, that took a huge chunk of time away from us. Almost 65 days, boom, gone. Of the 365 days that we have. Oh, by the way, if I didn't say it, in that last year, that final 365 days, you can only be out of Australia for 90 days. If it's 91, sorry, you have to start all over again. Why is it important to me to keep tracking those things? Why is it even worthy of me to keep track of those things? Well, as I look at Australia, and when we decided, scratch that, when God decided for us to move here, I thought we should become citizens. If we're going to be here, if we feel led by God that this is the place where we will be, then we should become citizens. Now, there's another reason as well. There are benefits to being a citizen that you don't get as a temporary resident or even a permanent resident. There are things that my daughters will be able to have when it comes to university that they're not able to have right now um, in getting loans and grants and not having to pay things back necessarily as, in as quickly of an order as you do when you're not a citizen. My children might decide that they want to serve in the military in some way, and so you can't do that as a permanent resident. You have to be a citizen to do that. I, you will come to find out, I'm a policy wonk. I love politics. I can't vote unless I'm a citizen. And I know many of you look at that and say, why would you ever want to have to put up with that? It's hard for me to live in a place where I don't have the ability to vote. And so to become a citizen is important to me to do that. Right in the middle of this passage in Philippians, we see this line. Now, our topic is joy in life and death. And there's two important words there in that joy in life and death. Life and death. Joy in life and death. I want you to look at verse 27. It says this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, in Greek, in the original language, what it really says there is this. Only behave as citizens worthy. What Paul is telling the people of Philippi is this. Now, remember, they're huge in emperor worship in Philippi. They, they really get their identity by being a Roman colony. And by being a Roman colony, they have full rights as citizens 
of Rome. It's like a little Rome right there in Philippi. So everything that a Roman citizen, somebody who lives in Rome, gets the benefits of, gets the honor of, they in Philippi get the same thing. And so they really feel like they're citizens of Rome. What Paul is doing here is he's saying, live worthy of being citizens of a new kingdom, of a different kingdom, a place that outshines even Rome in all of its glory. Live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. That you, Philippi, you folks who are following after Christ, you are citizens of the kingdom of God. And so in that, what does being a citizen look like? How do you live then in life and death and joy? You do it as living as a citizen worthy of the gospel. One of the unique things about being an Australian citizen is you're trying to become one, is you take a test. Sometimes they make you take an English exam as well. Well, actually, all citizens get to take that if you're becoming a citizen. You have to take an English exam, and they check your character. They make sure you're an okay kind of person. So they do a background check on you. It'll be like my fifth. I'm lucky. They've not seen the things I've done. So, <laughs> you have to do that. You have to live a worthy life for the Australian government to say, yes, you can be a citizen. Currently, as a permanent resident, at any moment, at any time, they can change the laws and it can change my status. At any moment, at any time, let's say, for instance, I did decide to break a law, I could be out, sent home. But when I'm a citizen, they can put me in jail, but they can't revoke my citizenship. Once I become naturalized as a citizen, they can't take it away. It's there permanently for good. And so as we think through this passage and we see Paul lining out for us what it means to rejoice in life and death, remember that once you're a citizen of the kingdom, it cannot be taken away. Hear that. It should cause joy. It can't be taken away from you. So let's jump in and see what this citizenship, living as a manner worthy, looks like. Uh, we're going to jump up at the front, and then we'll come right back down through the passage. So here Paul is saying to them, I'm expecting that I'm going to be with you. I believe that I'm going to get out of jail. I know that this is going to happen because the Spirit is leading and because you all are praying. That's what he says there in verse 19. And he hopes, what? That he'll get out? That's not what he says. He hopes that he will not bring shame but be full of courage as he always is in Christ, and he will honor him in everything that he does. So the first thing that it looks like to live as a worthy citizen of the kingdom of God is that in all that we do, our focus is not on us, but it is on giving glory and honor to God. That our focus is not what's going to happen to us or how it's going to look for us, but it is God receiving glory and honor and praise. He says, I do not want to put a shame or be ashamed, but I have full courage that now as in always, Christ will be honored in my body. 
Now, it's interesting that he's a little bit torn here because when he thinks about that, he puts this caveat, whether life or death. And it seems like that it causes Paul, in the middle of writing this or, or dictating it to the person who's writing it down to him, that he thinks to himself, life or death? Boy, what would be better? What would be better? And then we have this great verse. It gets uh, put on um, fancy little things that you can buy at Christian bookstores and hang up in your house. It gets uh, trinketized, <laughs> right? And put on a little trinket for you to say. But I want you to hear the power of it. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, first of all, let me tell you that this is not some beginning of a suicide cult. Paul is not here saying, we're all going to die together. That's not what he's pushing towards. He's not saying death is great. Death is the great opening to the great unknown, and we all should run into it headlong. What, what Paul is saying here is that life and death are almost, one, inconsequential to what my goal is. And my goal is to be living as a worthy citizen, giving glory and honor to God. But they are the most consequential in the fact that all of my life needs to be about doing those things for God. Not because I'm required to, not because if I don't, God's going to hate me, but because I love God and I want to express devotion to Him. And that death does not separate me from God. That death doesn't end the journey. That in death, I am with Christ, he says later. So he's living in Christ now, and in death, I'm living in Christ. That really nothing changes for me. That I'm either alive in Christ, or I'm dead in Christ. And so I'm able to have joy, because I know that death is not the end. And I know that life even though it is may, hard, may be hard, it is not the end as well. But in all things, I am in Christ. Listen, he says, if I'm living in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. That means I get to do the things that God has laid out before the foundations of the world for me to do. That means that my life has things and purpose, that there are relationships that I'm going to be in. That every moment of every day and every second, there's an opportunity for me to delight in God and in who he has brought into my life. Oh, that's tough, isn't it? This week I have found myself praying several times. Father, teach me to delight in the people that are around me. There are just times where it would be easier to be in an airplane, surrounded by strangers, flying somewhere. I, I love to fly. Not worrying about their cares, not knowing their frustrations, not getting ticked off because they're getting in my way. Because it's okay to get angry at a stranger. It's not okay to get angry at somebody you love. And I think... Father, please teach me how to delight in them. Or, or I look around and I think about my spreadsheet. And the fact that in reality, four years, 365 days out of the country, 
with a permanent resident freedom to move in and out when I want, as long as I obey the laws and keep right. Don't cause too much trouble. Seems pretty easy. And I think about those who are running away, escaping from places where they've persecuted, where they are hunted down, and they're looking for asylum, and they're looking for places to rest, and somehow they're not allowed to come in here. Somehow we make it harder for them to be present. And it makes me angry. Why is it so easy for me? Why is it that I get to sit and put a spreadsheet on my computer and keep track of just the days that I go in and out and the fact that I get to go in and out and the fact that I get to stay with my family and it makes me angry and I have to pray, Father, teach me to delight in those who do things I disagree with, that hold views that may be different than me. How do I delight in them? Because to delight in them, to recognize them as God's people, to recognize them as those who are created in the image of God is for us to live as worthy citizens of the kingdom. Teach me to delight in those who frustrate me. How about this? Teach me to delight in me. Now, not in some selfish sort of way, because most of us have a tendency to be selfish and can think, we're all right. But I know that some of you walk through your life fearing that people will find out who you really are. I I know some of you are walking through life knowing that in your mind you never match up to what you're supposed to be. That's not living worthy as a citizen. Because God calls you his son or daughter. Because God recognizes who you are and pursues you in all of his love. And he calls to you and says, I love you. You are worthy because I have made you so. How do I delight in myself? Well, you recognize what Paul recognizes. To live is Christ. I'm in Christ. He is in me. I'm completely and utterly covered by his righteousness and his purity and his love and his truth. It is my identity. It is all that I am to live as Christ, but to die is gain. He gets even a little bit more introspective here as he walks down the line and he says, I don't know which to choose, life or death but he recognizes that the people there in Philippi and the people in the world still need him. And he says, nope, I will remain and continue with all of you. Why? For your progress and joy in the faith. There's that word again, joy. So that in me you have ample cause to glory. Who? In Christ Jesus. Look, he looks at it and he says, I want your joy to grow in faith. I want you to progress. And so I recognize that we are in this together and I should be for you. Look, as long as we are alive, we are not a person unto ourselves. As long as we are alive, we are for each other. It's a challenge and a cause to us that as we learn to delight in one another 
and even when we don't. God moves us into each other's lives to care for one another, to seek each other's progress, movement forward in becoming citizens of worthy, living worthy in the kingdom. And what does that do for us and for each other? It brings us joy and faith. We move from worrying and we move to joy. For not just being concerned as Philippi was of Paul who's in prison and he could die. And what does Paul say? Yes, I could. I don't think I am because God wants me to help you progress in your faith. And then he says these words. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I'm there or whether I'm not there, I want to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That when God calls us to be his body, when he says, you are my people and I am your God, that he calls us to stand with one spirit and with one mind, striving side by side. In some ways, the language here is a battle motif. And I really am squeamish about battle motifs. I'm a little bit of a pacifist. And so, but, but you got to go where the Greek takes you. And this is where the Greek takes you. It's really a battle motif where they are like gladiators standing side by side together, arms linked into each other, ready for battle, hunkered down, looking for the onslaught to come, that they're prepared, that they know their goal, that they're one mind, that they're one heart, that they are focused, and that together we will stand the onslaught. And what a beautiful picture, really. That it's not one of aggression, but it is one of preparation. That is one that is ready for the encounter. Not one that's blissfully ignorant that there are things that attack us, but one that recognizes them and says, wait a minute, if I'm a worthy citizen, I can't do this on my own. I must link arms and hold tight with those that God has called together. And so we stand with one mind and one spirit. Next week we're going to talk about what that mind and spirit look like even further. Paul just gives a little glimpse. This is who you should be. This is how it should be looking. And then in chapter 2, he unpacks it for them. So if you weren't planning on coming next week, maybe you should. That way you can hear the unpacking of what one heart and one mind and one spirit looks like. And then Paul says this about this joy in life and death, is that you cannot be frightened by anything by your opponents. Because you standing together, you living lives worthy of the citizens of the kingdom, in joy, in faith, in one heart, in one spirit, you doing those things are signs to everybody that you will survive and that they will lead to destruction. Now the opponents here that he's talking about are most likely Judaizers, those who are saying you have to do, follow, believe in Jesus and do other things. Or it could be the Roman officials that are trying to say you have to worship Caesar, you can't worship this other Jesus guy. I fall on the side that I think he's really talking about the Judaizers here because later in the book he refers to them a little bit more clearly about who they are. And so what he's saying is that when they're focused on the 
other things, when they're thinking that it's not through Jesus that you're saved, but it's through these other things, that it brings about destruction for them. Why? Because we know that we can't save ourselves as much as we want to. And if you think you can save yourself, if you're always turning in on yourself, looking for yourself for the own answers, looking for yourself for the way to make it through, looking for yourself as the epitome of all knowledge and wisdom, you're going to fail. Sorry, don't mean to bust your bubble. You're going to fail. And you've felt it. And you've known it. And you've lived with the consequences. Fractured relationships. Broken hearts. Addictions. You felt it. And so, when we're not living a life that Christ has built for us, has made for us, has put us into, then it is our destruction. And that's what Paul says there. But he reminds us that not only has God granted for your sake in Christ that you would believe these things, but also that you will suffer for his sake. Oh, wow. Really? It was really good to be joyful. And now you're telling me I have to suffer. And I think there's two ways of suffering that happen here. The first way is obvious, that there are opponents and oppressors, and there are those who would say we're crazy, and there are those who don't want us to live lives that are honoring to God. And so there is suffering there. But the other suffering that takes place is us losing things within ourselves that we think are our true identity. When we begin to change because of what grace has done for us, there are things in our lives that we have become so used to, so comfortable with, that when they stop being the things we know we should be thinking or doing or believing, when we have to turn away from them, it becomes uncomfortable for us. Why? Because those were the things that we had always done. Those were the things that I always believed. Those were the things that I always said, and they were comfortable to me, like the best kind of clothes that are my favorite T-shirt. Or the best kind of food that's that comfort food. Peanut butter. I miss peanut butter. It was a comfort food. I loved it. But I know I can't eat peanut butter. And I know I really can't even taste peanut butter. Because if I went and tasted peanut butter right now, let me tell you what would happen. I would put a spoon in the peanut butter, I would take a little bit of peanut butter, I would put it in my mouth, and then before I knew it, that peanut butter would be gone out of the jar. Could I, I, would have just, I would just keep going. Because even when I'm making sandwiches for my kids, I smell that peanut butter and I just want to bury my face into their sandwich. It's comfortable. And it's uncomfortable for me to say, no, no peanut butter. Get behind me, peanut butter, Satan. And that's the way it is with us. We're so comfortable in these ways that we think and these things that we believe in the life patterns that we have built that when God begins to transform us and change us and move us from being citizens of self to citizens of the kingdom, we suffer. It's uncomfortable. 
And that's the reason why he pulls us together. That's the reason why he has us not be by ourselves in that movement. That's the reason why he says that you are joined together, suffering for his sake, engaged in the same conflict, what? That you saw that I had and now still am having. You're right here with me, guys. That's what he's saying. We're all moving together. That God is changing and transforming and moving and building his son into us over and over again. So much so that we can't help but suffer. And in the midst of the suffering, have joy. Because our life is in Christ, and in death we are in Christ, and in Christ we are together. Amen. Let me pray. Father God, bless us. Hold us. Let us know that you are with us. Thank you for transforming us and changing us. Father, let these words be your words, and if they're not, let them pass away, but if they are, let them take root into our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. During this season